If, uh, if you know me, you know two things about me. The first is, I have one vacation spot. If you've known me for any amount of time, I go on vacation, I go on one vacation, and it's to the beach. I don't go to the mountains, I don't, I don't go camping, not interested, I'm not sure what people see in the whole national park thing. When I go on vacation, I go to the beach, exclusively, that's what I do. And, and not just any beach, I don't, I don't hop around from beach to beach, I don't wonder what I'm missing somewhere else. I don't island hop, you know, I, there's no all-inclusives. I've been going to the same beach for 45 years. If you look carefully, you can see my, my buttocks impressed in the sand in a certain spot on 99th Street. Ocean City, Maryland. 45 years. That's my happy place. That's where I go. But this summer, this summer, while I did make it to my spot, this summer the Eisman's got a little bit on the adventurous side. Some of you know this. We went from zero to 100 in terms of vacations. And we wound up, for a, for a variety of reasons, in Dublin, Ireland for a few days. We had the most, it might make me rethink how I do vacations. That's how much fun the Eismans had. Do you know what the most thing about being in Dublin, Ireland with my whole family this summer was? That my kids are all old enough to pay their own way to Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> I'm telling you, the enjoyment factor goes off the chart when you're like, I don't have to pay for any of this. Second thing, which in a sense counterbalances, if you will, right, this is... You have to fly to get to Dublin, Ireland, and you don't, everybody knows this about me that knows me, you don't want to fly with me. It's not because I snore when I fall asleep and drool on your shoulder, I do. It's not because I manspread my legs and creep into your space, I do. But ask anyone on the staff and they will tell you what the problem is. I never, and let me repeat, I never fly without huge incident taking place. Doesn't matter the flight, doesn't matter where it's going, something always comes up. This is, these are all true. I have been taken off the plane for medical reasons and transported by the ambulance to the hospital. My plane once got hit by lightning flying. That was a scary one. Another time, compounding delays turned what would have been already a long flight into a multi-city, multi-continent, 30-plus-hour extravaganza. And by the way, I had a layover in Los Angeles for eight hours, so I thought I would go to the Santa Monica Pier, walked on the beach, rogue wave took me out, and I had to fly 17 hours in wet pants. <laughs> All true. <laughs> this time, no different. Got, back, got to the airport. Airline where we were leaving had no ticket for one of the parties which I had booked. I had the email that confirmed that, the, that I had paid for it, that the ticket was there, but the airline said, British Airways, we have no record of that ticket. And they said, where'd you book it on? And I said, well, I booked it through supposedly the, the uh, Expedia of, of Europe. And they said, oh, okay, well, you just call them and they, they should be able to straighten it out for you. Have you ever tried to call Expedia? There's a reason you don't know Expedia's number. They don't answer the phone. You, you can't get an answer. And so we went through all kinds of craziness, but we wound up uh, with an escorted dash through security to the plane. The trip home, the trip home might have topped it all. When we got to the airport to come home, it turned out, and I'm not making this up, in fact, here's the screenshot, um, the UK's air traffic control system hit by, quote, Why do I tell you all this? Because while the rest of the family got out later in the day, I wasn't able to get on their plane with them, so I got stuck behind for one more night in Dublin. And worse things could happen, right? 
But the cool thing is it give, gave me the opportunity to see this one last kind of tourist de destination I hadn't gotten to see. We had toured St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, which is a, a grand church. In fact, it might have been my favorite thing to tour while I was there. But then we saw what most tourist um, guides tell you is the grander church in Dublin. It's called Tri Christ Church. And I wanted to see Christ Church. I hadn't seen it yet. So I went home. I had a, a last Guinness, and I went to bed. Before I headed to the airport the next morning, I ran over to take the tour of Christ Church. I wait, waited outside of the door for it to open. And the tour guides are right. I mean, look at this place. This this. I join them. Please join me. You're welcome. And, and I said, well, I, I, I know. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor back in the United States. I, I already missed one flight, and I'm late for this one. I, I really have to bolt. And suddenly, he, sadly, he just kind of turned around and, and walked back. And as I looked over my shoulder as the prayer service continued, there was not one person there but the priests. Not one single person. I mean, there were people in the church, like me, that waited in line to look at the church, to, to tour it, checking out the, the incredible architecture and the beauty and, 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 and reliving its history. But in some, in some way that really has haunted me these last couple of weeks, in, in almost a grotesque way, if you want to kind of imagine it, it was like people examining the body of the deceased person while it was still kind of barely hanging on and gasping for air. The prayer service was going on, but, but, but everybody was just walking around like the, the day of the living zombies, like, like it wasn't happening, just oblivious to it, just merely focused on the, 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 the architecture, the, the church's manner in some sense, but not its message. Very haunting. I don't think I'm ever going to rem 
that, that priest, when he said to me, please join us with that, that kind of Irish accent, I don't know that I'll ever lose that. It's not an unfamiliar thing going on, at least in Europe. The Pew Research Center describes what I experienced this way, quote, Western Europe, where Protestant Christianity originated and Catholicism has been based for most of its history, it's become one of the world's most secular regions. In most Western European countries, non-practicing Christians are the largest group. Which makes their piece, this research piece that they went on to publish about a year ago today, the Pew Research Group, eerily prophetic about the United States of America. The headline was this. I encourage you to go home and read it. Modeling, the modeling they did a statistical analysis, modeling the future of religion in America. If recent trends in religious switching continue, Christians could make up less than half of the U.S. population within a decade. In fact, I'm kind of a numbers guy. They, they modeled several hypothetical scenarios describing how the U.S. religious landscape could change over the next half a century. So, some were like, you know, best case scenario. Some were worst case scenario. In every single scenario, even when everything broke right, religiously unaffiliated Americans will exceed Christians in America in the next 50 years. They have no case where that will not happen. I just saw it in Christchurch. And I know, I know we're tempted to go, well, you know, that's Europe. That's happened for a long time. And, and maybe you hear the stat about America, and you go, well, yeah, I see it. But that's, you know, 50 years. That's a long time, right? That's America as a whole. Let me bring this closer to home. This is the Mount Firm. Mount Fern United Methodist Church. It's on 443 Quaker Church Road right here in Randolph. It's a few minutes from us. You can go to their Facebook page this morning. They have 1,200 followers on Facebook. The reason I know it's addressed, 443 Quaker Church Road, is that it's currently for sale because it's closed. To quote the MLS listing, it would be, quote, ideal for conversion to residential mixed use. Then there's this one for our Western contingent just west of Hackett's. It's zoned residential. And if you go to the Facebook page of these churches, every one of them has people there talking about its history, what it was, what it meant to them. They were baptized there. They were married there. And every one of them ends the same way. This is just so sad. Friends, Menham Hills, uh, sometimes I fear, if you've been part of this church for any amount of time, sometimes I fear we live in a little bit of a bubble uh, of of our own creation here. If you've been around our church for the last 10 plus years, here's what you've witnessed. Here's what you're a part of. Here's what you're responsible for. Every year, for over a decade, every measurable in this church has gone up. From attendance to giving to small group participation, missional involvement, youth engagement, every measure goes up every year. This church, because of you, each of you, that call this place home. 134 of you volunteer every week to make this happen. Because of you, because you pour your time and your treasure and your heart into this place, this church over the last decade 
has literally swum upstream against the tide. It has bucked the trends globally and nationally. And it really, really matters. And, and what I'm afraid of, what I'm afraid of for us is that because, because the Lord has blessed our community so much, we might, and maybe we have, we've taken for granted the power and the purpose of Jesus' church. To begin to think that, you know, that, well, this just happens. You know, this, this happens. This is what happens in church. It happens if I go or not. You know, it's kind of rainy today. Maybe I'll, I'll just catch it online. I, I, you know, I, 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 I know there's stuff going on over there, but somebody, somebody else will do it. You know, the church, it's always, men will always be there. It's just kind of like a, a comfortable old shoe or something. I have to tell you, church, this is not the truth. Here's the overall truth. I want you to understand this. The church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful force the world has ever seen. I want you to know that, and that's not just me proclaiming that to you. In fact, Jesus said it. Matthew was one of his, his disciples. He recorded firsthand what Jesus said. It began with a question. Matthew writes that when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself. And they said, well, some, it's no different than today. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say a prophet, some say, say a messenger, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? Many of you know the story. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter proclaimed that morning what I try to proclaim to you every week from this platform. It is the reason why I am in ministry I have come to be convinced that Jesus is exactly who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. And then, right after Jesus proclaims that, he makes this incredible prophecy. Did you know Jesus prophesied about us? That Jesus actually prophesied. There is a direct prophecy from Jesus about you. The creator of everything, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, did you know he has a prophecy about you? It's in his response to Peter's claim. Here's what Jesus said. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on that profession that I am who I said I am, on that profession, Peter, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Friends, don't you get it? You, you are that church. You were who Jesus envisioned when he spoke those words. He had you in mind. This is who he is. That's what he does. There is no more powerful, life-sustaining force in the world than that of Jesus' church. That's the corporate truth. The big C church, right? The church overall. Historians can show you, right, what can happen. All the experts can predict what's going to happen. But do you know, church, who ultimately is going to determine in this place, in Manchester and Long Valley, in our towns, in our communities, do you know who gets to determine if this church lives or dies in this place? The same people Jesus prophesied about. You do. You get to decide. It's up to you. You and I will determine 
the future of the reflection of the church of Jesus Christ in this community. We get to decide. What do you think? What do you think the, the thousands and thousands of people, I went down into the crypts underneath Christ Church, what do you think the thousands of people over the centuries who poured their lives into the buildings and the making of Christ Church in Dublin, what do you think they would say to this church, to you and I this morning, if they could speak from those graves? What would they say? Fast forward a thousand years. What do you think the members of the Mount Fern Church in Randolph and St. Peter's in Washington, the men and the women who built those ministries, those once flourishing churches, what do you think they would say to you and I on kickoff Sunday here at Menham Hills Community Church? I think they would encourage you don't let what happened here happen there. Don't let what happened to us happen to you. Don't just take the church of Jesus Christ for granted. Don't just think, well, it's, it's just always going to be there. It's always going to stay that way. I think what they would say to you and I is, whatever you do, don't take on that mindset. Don't just, don't just consume. Don't just take. Don't just borrow from the church because it'll go away. It's way too important. I think they would say what you have, what you're doing, what you're up to is way too important to just, to just let it be, to watch from the outside. I, I think they would remind you, and, and all you have to do is walk around Europe to understand this, walk around the cities in our country where the church has, has almost become extinct. All you have to do is, is look around Europe or America and see what is hanging in the balance. Have you heard of the, the magazine, The Atlantic? Pretty, pretty popular magazine. It, it's no right-wing conservative publication, mind you. In fact, uh, the news magazine, The Atlantic, is rated by all-side media with its most liberal rating. The Atlantic, The Atlantic knows what hangs in the balance with Jesus' church. Absolutely fascinating article. It's only a month old, old, entitled, The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Have Stopped Going to Church. Here's what they wrote about what hangs in the balance if Jesus' church in the community is to prevail or fail. Quote, this change is also bad news, this, this, this declining church, is bad news for America as a whole. Participation in a religious community generally correlates with better health outcomes, a longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families, all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. The Atlantic understands what happens, what hangs in the balance right now? But do you and I think it through what they said, right? I mean, some of it seems almost trivial. So many of us are dieting, trying to eat right, exercising, going to the gym, taking our blood pressure meds and our statins, right? But the Atlantic linked to an article into the, to the USA Today. Religion may be a miracle drug, it said. If one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? Going a step further, right? It said its research conclusively showed that when consumed just once a week, this concoction would reduce mortality by 20 to 30 percent over a 15-year period. How urgent, urgently would, this is, this is USA Today, how urgently would we want to make it publicly available? 
That's the elixir, my friends. That's what hangs in the balance. Just even things that we would never guess, like, like the health of our community. It hangs in the balance. In a world of individualism, right? Entitlement. The Atlantic-linked philanthropy they, and, and roundtable findings. Again, they, they quoted a, a secular source. Here was the title of their secular article, Less God, Less Giving. When researchers documented how, how people spend their hours and their money, religious Americans look very different from others. The Pew Research Center, again, they examined the behavior of a large sample of, of the public across a typical week, just like we talked about with our volunteering. Here's what they found. It should be no surprise. Among, among uh, let's see, Americans who attend church services weekly and pray daily, 45% do volunteer work during, during the previous week. Among all other Americans, 27%. It chronicled, the, again, secular sources, how society erodes if the church were to go away. And it wasn't just charitable giving they talked about. Quote, charitable giving, by the way, was four times higher for church attenders. Quote, the capacity of religion to motivate pro-social behavior goes way beyond volunteering. Religious people are more involved in community groups. They have stronger links with their neighbors. They're more engaged with their own families. Generosity. I said to you a couple weeks ago, the church of Jesus Christ should be the, the collection of the most generous people on the face of the earth. Without the church, the call for generosity, the call to live for something other than yourself, who's making that call? Family stability. Again, the Atlantic. It links to, a, how about this as a secular source? Harvard School of Public Health. Regularly attending church services reduces a risk of divorce from a couple, for a couple by 47%. Bowling Green affirms the conclusion, reporting from a decade-long research, a couple's spiritual intimacy and church participation is very, very important and undeniably a construct that matters. Um, matters greatly in boosting marital happiness and longevity. Additional research demonstrates marriages are stronger and happier when the husband and wife understand the deeper spiritual significance of marriage. These findings have remained consistent, this is Bowling Green University, over many decades and across socioeconomic differences. Friends, in our community, families which sit at the heart of our community, families Mothers, fathers, marriages, children, parenting, grandparenting, they all hang in the balance. The church's existence will benefit it greatly, or if the church were, were to fail, families are going to suffer. But it's not just that. That's just what the Atlantic came up with, right? Much more hangs in the balance. If this reflection, if our local reflection were not to prevail, have you ever given it any thought? I sat around this week thinking, what happens? What goes away? If some of us, all of us just decide, you know what, like, the church will just go on. I don't need to be, I don't need to play my part. I mean, the Atlantic just scratched the surface. We talked about health and generosity and families. But how about abstract principles, like things like truth, right? Think about the church's role in proclaiming truth in a community where everything has become just relative. In a world with no boundaries, no right, no wrong, no, no evil, no good. See, if the church prevails, right, if the church deserves, earns and deserves the right to speak truth to its neighbors, we will bless them. But if the church were to fail, 
If we don't earn the right to proclaim the truth to our neighbors, we lose our voice, and confusion will incrementally reign amongst your children, in their schools, in our places of government, in the arts, in literature, in our neighbors, and in our homes. The church is the voice of truth, and if the church prevails, the voice speaks. If it doesn't, friends, truth hangs in the balance. How about purpose? In a world where all of our children are being told that essentially their purpose is to grow up and, and be happy and, and, and collect, collect a lot of things, the church comes along and says, no, 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 you have a, you have a much different purpose, a much more grand purpose, a much stronger purpose, right? The church is, is where, where people can gather from all different demographics and they can find their calling. They can realize that they've been blessed not to consume blessing, but to be a blessing. They exist to help build the kingdom of God here in this community and around the world. The church, when it's working right, creates pathways for people to find that purpose. That's why so many of you come to Guatemala with us every year, seeking and finding purpose, right? Identities. Who am I? Who gets to inform you of who you are? Do you get to choose based on how you feel today? Do your friends, does the world, does your profession, does your education, does your socioeconomic level define your identity? Because that's what every voice outside of the walls of this place seems to be saying. Am I merely the sum total of my, my accomplishments? Or have I been made, am I, am I just some cosmic goo that got lucky to coalesce the right way? Or am I made in the very image of God with a purpose? Am I a son and daughter of God? Who gets to define identities? Do you know what happens when the church is lost in a community? Who starts identifying, who starts telling your children who they are? I hope you're starting to sense there's a lot at risk. Like, this, this isn't small stuff. This weekend, I got a call from my mother, upset. Someone in our family had gotten to a place of hopelessness and had taken their life. What happens when the church goes away? When the church goes away, people begin to think that all that there is is just what they see. That there is no hope. There's no better day. Justice will not prevail. The church, right? At the end, these things will remain, the scriptures say, faith, hope, and love. The church is the greatest dispenser of hope that has ever existed on the face of the earth. What happens when the church in a community goes away? Who is the dispenser of hope beyond, beyond the current circumstances in your life and beyond the grave? Who's the dispenser of that hope when the church goes away? Unfortunately, for somebody I know, they came to a rather desperate conclusion that there is no hope beyond their current circumstances.
How about the tangible? How about the practical? How about people in financial crisis? Not abstract at all. The church literally provides a safety net in this community for everybody that's part of this. This week, there was a family in our, in our church. They, they lost their home in a fire. Within, within hours of finding out this, this information, our MHCC Cares Group was able to bless that family with, with, I won't give you the amount, but a significant amount of money to help them begin to replace some of the necessities of their life that they lost. Who does a better job of this? Calling and hoping to get through on some government helpline or the church of Jesus Christ? This is literally happening every day in our church and around the world. People in financial crisis can find healing, can find hope, and can find practical answers in this church, the church of Jesus, which has given away, because of your generosity, has given away to people in need thousands of dollars every year. Tell me who's replacing it. I sat on my deck with my son this week. We began to talk about the power of the church, and he looked at me, and he he said, Dad, he goes, as I've been thinking about what you're saying, he goes, everything that I have is, is related to the generosity and the relationships of people in this church. Everything I know professionally, everything I've achieved so far is all because of the community that exists in this place, the ties that are, that are bound together. Don't you see, friends, in a world where, where everybody is splintering apart, everybody's going to their own camps, everybody's just in their own echo chamber, the church exists as the place where everybody is welcome to flow into, despite where you've been, what you think, how you vote, and develop this web of relationships. By the way, this is what the Atlantic said is missing, why people are, are leaving the church, because of this, this, the, the lack of purpose and relationships and lives, and the church used to do that, and it's not doing it anymore. Nobody is better at this than the church of Jesus Christ when the church of Jesus Christ is working right. The world is trying to pull us apart. The church that sits in the center of Men of Manchester has the, the, the promise, the possibility of bringing this whole town together. The church goes away. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. The entanglement all unwinds, I guess. Isolation. There is, by every account, an epi epi epidemic of loneliness in the United States of America. Lacking connection, it increases people's premature death rates, right, to levels comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I just read it this week. Where can you walk into and immediately be loved? Where can you walk into and be accepted? Where can you walk into, where can you walk into a community that has as an underlying premise, we don't judge? Judge not. Show me the community. There is no other place in a world full of isolation and separation. The church sits at just the heart of this thing, and it's like, yeah, come on in. We don't care where you've been or what you've done. Come in. And we could go on relational healing, right? I gather, I gather with our groups, our midweek groups, right? In a world where all you hear is eye for an eye, karma, let it do its thing, encouraging everybody to take revenge or get even, do you realize there is in the center of this town and in every town with a prevailing church, right, a, a, 
a living, breathing body that says, no, 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 don't do that. Forgive as you've been forgiven. In fact, don't hate your enemies, love your enemies. In fact, don't hate your enemies, pray for your enemies. Bless them, don't curse them. If you know your brother, do you know the church exists to say, if you know your brother has something against you, drop the religion, drop your sacrifice, this is what Jesus said, and go and be made right with your brother. If the church of Jesus Christ prevails in a community, forgiveness is proclaimed and flows from that community. If the church of Jesus Christ crumbles in a community, what we will each experience and our children will learn is nothing more than get even and hit back harder. That's the truth. Emotional recovery. I, I was saying I gather with our small groups, our midweek small groups. We run divorce care. We run divorce care for children. We run grief share. We, we run a, a trauma re reboot, a trauma recovery ministry. You come in here during the week, the room is filled. Everybody's eating together, sharing their stories. Children are being told it's going to be okay. People are being told how to walk and navigate through these very difficult areas of life. When the church prevails, the community heals. When the church fails, I don't want to overstate it, but I, I just... I don't think it does. It hurts. The least of these, it's a pretty cool picture. Those pictures I showed you of Christ Church, I, wanted, I want to give you a, a close-up. I don't know if you can see that. It's a statue that's created. It started in America, but... Dublin, in, in front of Christ Church, it was the first international version of this statue. It's called Homeless Jesus. Because there was a day when the world looked to the church to be the solution for helping the least of these. It's a reminder as you look at this grandiose church and you look in front of it and you see Jesus sleeping on the bench. Because of you, because of your generosity, because of your willingness to go, we have now built in the garbage dump in Guatemala City more homes. There are no more homes to be built in that community. We're now on our second community. Because of you, and I don't, I don't have this number, but I'm guessing it's somewhere between $150,000 and $200,000 over the last decade has been given to help children eat and be educated in the garbage dump of Guatemala. Or Guatemala. That doesn't include all of, the, all of your generous giving to our mission fields around the world. It doesn't, doesn't include what you're giving into the, 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 the poverty uh, organizations fighting poverty in Morristown. When the church of Jesus Christ works, the least of these are continually blessed. There's a solution to their problems. There's a hope to which they can cling. And everybody once knew it. I'll give you two last ones. You could do this all day, right? I mean, you think about what, what happens if the church goes away. I'll give you two last ones. I, I'm, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and you know, I can kind of see the end in sight. I mean, it's still pretty far out there, but I used to think, you know, I'm going to be getting into my 60s, and then it'll be time to, like, retire. 
Del Boca Vista, phase two, as I always say. I could kind of see it, and I was starting to look at golf carts, right? Preferred mode of transportation. And then Ryan over here married my daughter, and they had a grandchild. And Landry comes to Menham Hills Community Church. She's one year old. And all of a sudden, I realized, I'm not going anywhere. I need this church to prevail for my granddaughter. I need there to be at the center of her town and the center of her life a living, breathing center for Christ that will point her into in the right direction, that will give her all of these things we talked about, hope and purpose and identity and truth. How much is the faith of your children worth to you, your grandchildren worth to you? I'll tell you how much it's worth to me, everything. And if this church, see, I'm going to get fired up. If this church goes away, I don't know what happens to my granddaughter. I don't know what happens to your children. The Lord will build his church, but it just not, might not be right here. The faith of the next generation, it hangs, it hangs on if this church fails or if it prevails. And then finally, there's there's the reason that, that most people believe the church exists, but you begin to see how powerful it is, how all-encompassing it is, how strong it is. Eternities. See, our hope is not just for this world. Of course we proclaim hope for this world. This is why we're doing all of these things. But here's what Jesus said, right? Everything, to, to set your mind not on worldly things, but to begin to set your, your mind and your heart on things above. Begin to understand that this is not always the way things are going to be. That there is a better day, a greater day coming. And he also made a bold proclamation. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. They don't come through their good works. They don't come by being nice people. They don't come because they got involved with, with other religions. The truth is Jesus was not trying to be exclusive. What Jesus was proclaiming to everyone is there's no one else coming for you. If the church fails in this town, what happens to the eternities of the 96,176 people that live within one town of this church? It all hangs in the balance. See, here's the thing, though. For, for a long time, we've tried to counterbalance them with, with two things. We've tried to offset them with, with things like the government. Right? Oh, the government can do it. Church doesn't need to do it. I don't need to be involved. Church, you know, the church is a weak institution. Jesus made these proclamations in the midst of the Roman Empire, one of the greatest empires to ever exist. Where is the Roman Empire today? What came after the, the Roman Empire? The Ottoman Empire. One of the greatest empires that ever existed. If I did a quick test right now, almost none of us would know what the Ottoman Empire even was. I've been to the British Museum in London. Anybody ever been to the British Museum in London? It's fascinating because the, the, England, the English Empire ruled the whole world, and they stole everything from everybody. It's unbelievable. You go to the British Museum, they have the Sphinx in there that used to sit outside of the pyramids. It's in London. What happened to the London Empire? It's all gone. 
I don't know what the future of the United States of America is. I hope it's better than its current state. But it's not the hope of the world. The other thing we've tried to do is we've tried to say, okay, you're right, governments fail, so we're going we're gonna to try to use NGOs and, and corporations. And, and, and you, know, you know, the wealthier, they're, they're all making pledges to get rid of, rid of their money. And those are all wonderful things. I mean, until you start to go through and, and think about what's happened to all of these powerful corporations that, you know, billions of dollars and, and, and hired tens of thousands of people I mean, go through the list, those Standard Oil and, and Enron and Lehman Brothers and Arthur Anderson and WorldCom, Bear Stearns, Kodak. They can be as generous as they want. And you know what they are? They're all gone. I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell... will not prevail. There is only one thing that will last. There's only one force that will endure. It is the only actual thing that can cure all of these things. It is the church of Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because do you know what Jesus is doing right now? Have you ever said, what is God? How could God let this happen? What is God doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's building his church for 2,000 years, this is what Jesus has been doing. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now, this Sunday morning? He's not getting ready for the Giants game. He's building his church. There is nothing like it when it works right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving. It heals the broken. It, it builds bridges to seekers. It, it offers truth to the, to the confused. It provides resources for those in need. It opens its arms to the isolated. It breaks the chains of addiction. It frees the oppressed. It, it offers belonging to, to the marginalized. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Do you know who's responsible for the church prevailing in this community? You are. And I didn't say it. Paul told it to the Corinthians. He wrote most of the New Testament. Here's what he says. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. And if we're going to prevail, friends, if we're going to prevail, if we're going to prevail, we cannot fall into the consumeristic thing that's going on in the church world today where it's just, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take a little bit over here, I'll take a message from over there and a ministry from over there and just take and take and take and take. We must determine on our watch that the gates of hell will not prevail in this place. How do you do that? How do you tip the scales, right? We need everybody to get involved. It takes 134 people to run one week of ministry here. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. If you've been in one and it didn't work, try another. If you're not serving anywhere, please hear the call of Christ. There is no power. What are you going to do with your life that is more important than that? Literally, do you have a better... You, can you do that? Get involved in it. If you sense a call to the next generation like I did, like, man, I guess I'm not getting a golf cart, help us with our children. If you're not giving sacrificially, begin to prioritize it. We are the church of Jesus Christ, you and I. None of us, I'm telling you, none of us will ever regret one moment spent, any hour surrendered, any dollar given to the church of Jesus. It is the hope of the world. I believe in the end, on our last days when we close our eyes, we will only wish we had given to it more. And when we get it right, 
when we get it right, when we get it right, it looks like this. <laughs>